All right. Good morning, Rad family. How y'all doing today? Wow, I'm so glad to be here. I was with you a few months ago during that Nehemiah series where y'all were building, and now you're in the building. Check it out. Love it. I'm so glad to be with you again today. Trevor is a good friend of mine. I consider Trevor one of my closest brothers. And just as he is a pastor to so many of you, I consider Trevor a pastor in my life. Whenever I need a word of encouragement, hey, he's one of the first people I call. So I just commend your congregation. And I just, I'm so thankful to be here today. Thank you, thank you. It's an incredible story that God is, is, is living out right here in Kyle, Texas. So thanks again. So let's get real for a moment. Are you ready? I'm going to get real today. Because the reality today, what I share with you this morning I've lived it, and I'm still living it. Are you guys ready? How many of you are like me? When you see a problem, you tend to overanalyze that problem a little bit. I mean, if you see a problem, maybe you're like me. I get so fixated on it, I can think of 100 solutions right then and there. And I start brainstorming, ideation, going everywhere. And I'm so fixated until I have a solution. You see, I tend to be that way, and I think it's the way God has wired me. I heard one, one pastor that I admire, he, Erwin McManus, in fact, if you know his name, he, he described his brain as the ability to see the rain, and it's been raining lately, right? But he sees between the rain, cloud, rain drops. And I think that's the way God even made me, is that I have an ability to sometimes see the complexity in life and overcomplicate situations. <laughs> Anyone else like that at times? And, and that's good. That's the best of me. That's how God made me. But it can also tend to lead to a lot of anxiety, worry, or the what-ifs in my life. You see, if I'm not careful, the problem can tend to consume me. And you know what I've actually learned and I'm still learning, and that's why as a church we all learn together. When I do that, when I get consumed by a problem, what happens is the affections of my heart are drawn away from the Lord, and they're actually almost to the point that I care more about the problem than I do about giving God what he deserves. And what I've come to find out, that in that midst of that all-consuming problem, I let the voices, even the discouraging voices, in my own head, I often let those speak louder than his. And let me tell you, there's a better way. There's such a better way. Because there was a time in my life when I experienced a great season what some may call a dark night of the soul even. I've studied this. Maybe another way of saying it is maybe I've, I, it was a season where I hit a wall. And, and, and I had a determination either I was going to hit this wall, bounce off, and hit it again over and over in my life, or I was going to deal with it. That season was a great battle of anxiety and stress. And let me tell you, this season, not only was it stressful and I had a lot of worry, my physical body became sick. I had digestive issues. My immune system was so weakened. I mean, I I would get sick on occasion, but in this season, I was on antibiotic after antibiotic. I couldn't kick it. It was weird. It was crazy. And I was like, this is not how I want to live. I found myself on my father's chiropractic adjusting table. My dad's an incredible chiropractor. He has served the San Antonio area since the 70s and healed so many bodies and ministered in such a holistic way to so many. And here I found myself on his table. Who better that God sent to me than my own father to minister to my body? 
And I remember being on that table, laying there, just kind of weak and even kind of ashamed that I was going through this. I was a pastor at a church. I led a large kids ministry and youth ministry. And and I, I felt like, why am I going through this? And yet I could lay on that table. And my dad could ask me, think about what's on your heart or what's on your mind. What's bothering you? And as if you've had a chiropractic care, it's a lot with adjustment and strength and weakness. And I'll tell you, I was so weak, I couldn't even lift my arm the moment I thought about the situations in my life. I was overwhelmed by anxiety and stress. And I kid you not, if I hadn't dealt with it then, I think my life and my health would have deteriorated even more. But the truth is, I decided on that day My dad, of course, gave me supplements. I decided I wasn't going to live that way anymore. The truth is, this is a fight. It's a fight for your life. It's a fight for your health. It's a fight, even men and women. It's a fight for your family. Because according to the Harvard Medical School, stress and anxiety is an epidemic. It's responsible for 90% of all doctor visits. Think about that for a moment. All doctor visits are actually rooted because of stress and anxiety. You see, we're doing a lot with our medical and a lot of things in our, in our culture is about medical care. But imagine if we actually dealt with the root of the problem, and that is that our society is so overwhelmed, so anxious, and our society and us as people are walking and living in fear. You see, stress has become so widespread that we accept it as normal now. It's normal now to have insomnia, to not be able to sleep at night. It's normal now to be like me and have those digestive issues that you just need to kind of medicate and get through them. It's normal to be considered chronic, ongoing, and to have anxiety. You see, even this quote is so true today. Historians will probably call our era. Now, this was written in 1965. He wrote, historians will probably call our era the age of anxiety because anxiety is the natural result when our hopes are centered in anything short of God and his will for us. Look who penned that quote, Billy Graham. He knew he was a man that was speaking to generations Every time he spoke, there were generations that would come to the altar, and many of you probably remember him and and know him, and we all do. We celebrate his life and the evangelistic impact it had upon our nation. But he knew something back in 1965, and he was prophetic that even today in 2023, this is the age of anxiety. I ministered to a lot of youth and children throughout my career, and I tell you, the children that are being raised today are living an anxious world. living with a fear of what was COVID, a fear of what might come, a fear of tomorrow. They're living in fear. But I'm here to declare my own testimony today. There was a time in my life when I battled a season of great anxiety and stress, but I encountered Jesus. I encountered the brilliance and beauty of my Savior and my Lord. And now I walk with the peace of God. Now I live in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the peace of God that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Make no mistake, guys, I 
I want to be honest. I still battle with it. How many of you would say, honest today, raise your hand. I want to get a kind of feel for the room. How many would say that you battle with worry? Maybe it's generational. Oh, look at that. This room's filled with it. We're together in on this battle. I can tell you this is something I've witnessed in my family. My grandfather was a worrier. My father at at times tends to worry. And of course, I inherited that very type of symptom in my life. But you know what? Today, I'm here to tell you, peace is knowing that I'm a child of God. Peace is not living in constant fear and anxiety. Why? Because peace is God's will for your life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Even now, as many in this room confess, this is something that they battle. Lord, together as a church, I thank you for the radical faith that that, that comes together every Sunday in this church, that they might be a radical people following and obedient to your word. Today, Lord, your word says to be anxious for nothing, and we come in obedience and we align our hearts with your command. Holy Spirit, come, be the strength, Be the answer. Jesus, reveal yourself in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of my message is simply nothing because Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, be anxious for what? Nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise, church the radical promise we get to live in every day. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The teaching I share was the beginning for me, and today can be the beginning for many of you. Today we're gonna do three things. We're gonna first examine where fear, anxiety, and stress, the things that we battle every day, where they come from. The second thing I'm gonna walk you through is the ability to learn how to practice the way. God in his word and in that passage, he gives us a way to deal with the anxious thoughts and the worries and the stresses of life. There is a way and Jesus is the way to deal with fear, stress, and anxiety. And we do those two steps. We're gonna examine where it comes from. We're gonna learn to practice the way. Why? So we can leave this place and experience the peace of God that is found only in Jesus in a supernatural way. I know this is a church that believes in the power of God, that experiences. Last Sunday, I witnessed it. I saw your service. I watched online. The power of God moved in this place. And so when I got the invitation, I was excited. I knew this was, I'm coming after a week that God is supernaturally encountering his people. So I asked this question today. Are you ready, radical church? Are you willing Because the change that I made in my life came out of my will, came out of my I am, I am a child of God, but then I made a declaration in my own life, I will not live that way anymore. So I ask you all this morning, are you willing? Are you willing to no longer live in a constant state of anxiety and stress? If you're willing, make this declaration, repeat after me and say it from your heart because I believe this is the driving force today that can change and begin it be a new beginning for many of you. Make this declaration. Say, I am a child of God. I'm unwilling to live in fear, anxiety, or stress. I will. I love this part. Say, live in peace. 
Ooh, come on. So point number one, if you're taking notes today, I have three points. It's going to be a solid three-point message. The first point is the first fear. The first fear. Where did fear come from? Well, let's go all the way back to the beginning of creation. Back into Genesis story, the story of our beginning. Genesis 3 and 8. Then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And here's the first fear, guys, because this fear, their response to this situation was this. Their emotions were so wrecked at this moment, they didn't know what to do. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But I love this. God didn't allow them to stay hidden. He knew where they were, but he was looking for them. He was searching after them. He was going after them. But the Lord God called out to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. What you're reading right there is the very first written recording of fear in all of human history. It happened in the beginning, and I'm here to tell you today, when you live under fear, it causes us to hide as well. When we live in sin, it causes us to be shamed and naked as Adam and Eve were, ashamed of who we are because of what we've done. When we live in sin, that's the response that often happens. We, we run away from God and the things he has for us. But I'm thankful today, and everyone in this room, hear me, I'm thankful, and you should be too, that we serve a God who searches and comes looking for us no matter what. He loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus. He would not leave us alone in our sin. He sent his very son to come after us, to redeem us, to rescue us, to love us. Adam and Eve, they brought the first fear, and from that moment, we have lived and we've experienced and we've battled fear ever since. Our world is simply filled with it, wouldn't you agree? The media, they drive it. For whatever reason, I don't know what's happened over the generation, but media, there used to be some good news in the news, right? Seems like now it's very hard to find. It's all fear, it's all worry, it's all us versus them, tribal nature. We're all trying to protect ourselves and our power. It is ridiculous. All it's generating is an ever-ending cycle of fear, worry, anxiety, COVID, what we just lived through that wasn't that long ago. For some of us, it does feel like it's over, but for some, they still have the lingering effects of what that season did in their lives and in their health and in their family, in their relationships, and in their own mind. It takes time to heal, and it takes time to overcome, but today can be the starting point. Our scripture reminds us to be anxious for nothing. So that's easier said than done. But today, by the power of the Holy Spirit... I declare and I believe it can be done. So what are the root causes of fear, anxiety, and stress? For all of us, it may be different. For me, it's different than it is for you. But here's some of the causes that maybe you can relate with. Genetic, like I told you before, for whatever reason, my grandfather was a worrier. My dad sometimes tends to worry. His sister tends to worry. And then I somehow inherited that. That was genetically passed on to me. It could even be the, the generational kind of burden that we carry. There's biology. Sometimes people are more success, susceptible to stress and anxiety because of biological factors. There's environmental factors. 
the environment, maybe your upbringing, your family, your social support system, the exposure that your job or your vocation even has to stress. Maybe it's your upbringing and that, that played a role into this development of fear, anxiety, and stress. Maybe it's past experiences. I studied this too, and I'm developing another message around this, but oftentimes when we live in regret, that regret fuels anxiety because we're afraid of making the same mistake and we live in a constant cycle of past experiences and trying to avoid them. There's such thing as trauma. And I work with an organization in San Antonio called South Texas Alliance for Orphans and we actually do trauma training for churches so that they can minister to children and youth affected by trauma. But there's truth to the matter that there's trauma in our childhood if in your childhood something was broken, you're going to live in as an adult still as a broken child, such as abuse, neglect. All those things can then contribute to anxiety and stress later in life. There's cognitive patterns. As I described, I think with me being fixated on problems, my cognitive pattern I have formed in my own life is when there's a problem, I have to fix it. 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 Nothing else matters. I'm so fixated by and consumed by, by an issue. That's my pattern that I've developed, and i got to reconstruct that. Ruminating over worst-case scenarios. Some of us are very creative with our anxiety, aren't we? I think too, and I work with a lot of creative people like those that lead worship and those that make art and those that do videos and I work with creative people and it's like their creativity is the best of them but then it tends to be the really thing that weighs them down. You look at history and all the artists, some of the most famous artists that we celebrate today and admire their artwork were some of the most depressed and, and, and hurt and really chained people by the burden of their minds. Also, lastly, it can be your beliefs and values. Our beliefs can influence our emotional response, and you can look into that further. Our emotions is our response to our, the things that stress us and our beliefs and how we believe. And I've heard it one time said that really oftentimes what we do is on autopilot, that really a lot of the things that we do and how we act and how we respond is like this autopilot within us that we don't even recognize is at work. We've got to get that right, and sometimes we've got to have someone in our life or even have scripture realign and rework those things and change the way we understand and the way we live. So I need to stop here for a moment. We've looked at where stress and anxiety comes from, but I, I had this realization even yesterday as I was sharing this with my wife and we were preparing for this message, and she reminded me of a, the response that so often the church gives to this issue. Is so often we're told that your anxiety your stress, your worry, it's because of your lack of faith. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry if that's what's been communicated to you. Because if you're in that state, for someone just to say, do more, that doesn't help. They probably said that out of good intentions. They want to point you back to God, which is always good. But to say it to someone that is having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning... To tell them that to pray more, to do more, that's never going to work. How about instead of just saying it, go into their house and sit with them? How about just be with them? How about listen to their hearts before you cast a solution? I've had people tell me, and get me no, make no mistake, there's always spiritual breakthrough that we need in our lives, but there's also soul care that we need as well. And sometimes they operate in different ways. We love the spirit. 
And I've been around a lot of people in my life that love to be the deliverance and all these things. Those things are incredible, but sometimes deliverance is for a breakthrough and the rest is the healing process. And I'll tell you, I'm being completely real here. COVID in the three years that I've experienced was the best for me because it allowed me to get off the treadmill for the first time in my adult life and say, wait, are you healthy? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking care of your wife? I can tell you, I was on the ministry treadmill for 18 years, and if I would have stayed on it, you know the stories that you see in the news. You know the documentaries that are coming out right now. It's because they never got off the treadmill. I got off long enough to say, God, heal me. Take care of me. Because that's the process, and it's very painful. I'm not going to sit up here and say it's all butterflies and sunshine. It's not. (laughs) It's hard work. Because... I can tell you, there was a time even with this last few seasons, and I'm going to be real with you, I came to a point and I was like, I'm so tired of being so self-aware. It was like self-awareness, but it was because I was in a season of counseling, I was in a season of coaching, I was in a season of really kind of examining who I was, and that is not easy. And men, let's be real today, it's not easy for us. But just yesterday, on Friday, and I'm up, if I get emotional because it's still a little raw, I had a man in my life who I trust, who I haven't had many of them over the years, but a man in my life trust that I trust be able to speak a word into me that, that, that right there hit me in the heart. He said, it's okay to not be okay. Because for whatever reason, whether it's because I was a pastor, because I'm a man, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I gotta be okay. My wife can be going through all hell, but I gotta be okay. I gotta be the one strong. I gotta be strong for my kids. I gotta be strong for the ministry. I gotta go up on the stage and and perform on Sunday. I gotta be okay. I gotta be okay. But you know what? Um, If this is a freeing word for some of you in the house as it was for me last Friday, it's okay to not be okay because that's where God will meet you. Today, the scripture says, be anxious for what? Nothing. Let's get to the root. Let's get to the, 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 the practicing the way as we go here. But in everything... Through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Everything must be brought to God. Because when we don't, I think I've put the stakes pretty clear just with my own story. When we don't, our lives are not the way God designed them. So today I want to do a little word study that will help you. And this is something you can take home and remember. The word is fear. Fear can have two meanings. Which are you going to choose? The first meaning, forget everything and run. Fear can stand for forget everything and run. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did, and it's what so many of us are doing day after day after day. Running away, running away, hiding, hiding, and hiding. Fear causes us to do that. But here's the second definition. What would your life look like if you faced everything and had it in rows? Face everything and rise. What's your choice today? I don't know about you, but my Jesus wants us to rise every morning in the goodness and the grace and the mercies that flow from heaven. He wants us to rise up and become the children of God, to be the witnesses in this world, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, to build a church in Kyle, Texas that's going to shake heaven and earth right here in this place, to change the wave of all the things in our community, to be a light in the midst of darkness, to stand firm even when it's hard, to be the followers of Christ that we're called to be. So point number two is to be anxious for, everyone say it, nothing. 
Nothing. Nothing should carry the weight of this world on us. We should be anxious for nothing. So when our hopes are centered on anything, like Billy Graham said, when your hope is centered on anything short of God and his will, that's when anxiety comes. But when you put your hope in Jesus, that's the answer. That's the peace. Be anxious for, every, for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication. Let's break down the two words real quickly here. I know you've been taught this. Pastor Trevor's an incredible teacher and communicator, and I know you've taught seasons of prayer, and this is a praying church. Prayer is the way Jesus taught us to align ourselves with the Father, with the heart of the Father and his will for our lives. It requires childlike faith, a worry-free mentality, I don't know about you, but my four-year-old daughter, she doesn't worry the way I do. (laughs) She doesn't worry about tomorrow. She gets to enjoy every moment. Oh, to be a kid today when you don't think about all the stresses of the world, to just enjoy and to be happy and to have fun. Be have a childlike faith. But here's another thing about prayer. The realization is that prayer won't necessarily change your circumstances, but here's what it will do. It will always change you. And that's what God is after. God is after the ever-changing, the transformation, the formation of you to become more like his son, to become who he created you to be, to be the masterpiece, to do the good works that he planned for you from the very beginning. You see, I know that, that when you come before God, You can pray, but you can also do this word, supplication. You know what this word means? It's cool. I love this word. I love words. There's so much power in the words and the language God has given us to to communicate with one another. And this word supplication comes from the word supplicare, which means to plead humbly. So when we pray, we can humble ourselves before God and even say, God, I don't have the answer but I come before you and I plead in this moment. See, what you're doing at this moment when it comes to supplication is you're, you're actually entreating someone with great power to help you and to provide favor, or I love the word from the word grace. God says that we can approach this throne of grace in our time of need to receive an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, an abundance of all supernatural power that you could ever imagine or think of. It's available to you as a child. So we pray, we do supplication. But in order to do this, I love this idea that what I love about prayer is it often puts things into focus. If I take off my glasses, I don't have the worst eyesight. I can read without them, I can do things, but I can tell you right now, taking them off, I'm looking at you, I don't see the details of your face anymore as well as I did when I wore them. Things just aren't as in focus. It even makes me feel a little bit more weary when I'm not wearing my glasses. I like have to try harder. I have to squint sometimes because one eye can see better than the other. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you wear glasses, but what I love about it is like when you put them on, things become clear again. They become more in focus. And my glasses even help me with the light shining on me. It helps me like see. So these, this is often what God does when we pray. All of a sudden, the situation that we saw one way, it changes because things are now being seen in the light of his word. Or you're allowing the Holy Spirit to renew your mind and to help you see things differently. 
Sometimes when it comes to anxious thoughts, it's just a matter of you taking a moment and getting refocused. Get refocused, get out of the emotion. When that emotion comes, allow it to come because we are emotional people. So don't shame yourself because you have the emotion, but start to regulate and start to realize this emotion is triggering something in me that, that, is, that is making me anxious. What do I need to do or not do at this very moment? And what you do need to do is be anxious for nothing because that's what Jesus says. But to focus our hearts where, I, where they belong because remember if fear the definition of fear that we're going to believe today is face everything and rise, then we must align ourselves with who? God. Because when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. And look what the next verse in this passage of scripture actually says. You know, it was written, that first verse is so beautiful, but really right after that, Paul continues and says, Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever are just, whatever are pure, whatever things are lovely... Oh man, I was just in Yosemite just the last week. And even that picture there, it's kind of like that Yosemite vibe. And that's lovely. I get away in nature sometimes and I just observe the, it's like I heard it one time said that when you get out in nature, it's like God is romancing you. And I tell you, when I'm on the hiking trail and I'm seeing waterfalls and I'm seeing animals, you know, all that, God romances my heart. And I fall deeper in love and I just relax. And I'll tell you, when I'm on the trail, it's kind of like what we were doing earlier. It's like worship. I'm not anxious. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about anything but enjoying the beauty that he made. Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, what does Paul command? Meditate. Think on these things. And the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace We'll be with you. So we need to refocus our, our mind and our thoughts. But I love this last sentence that's often overlooked in this passage. Paul says to the believers, and he says, listen, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul had a way of influencing those around him. And I'm here to tell you and remind you, the people that you're around influence you the very same way. Part of the reason many of you are in anxious thoughts and anxiety and fear is because the people around you are in anxious and have fear and worry. We need to choose our community and the people that influence and reflect upon us very carefully because Paul was saying, listen, I don't deal with this and I've shown you how to overcome fear and worry and anxiety because even in the midst of Paul's struggles, he was beaten, he was persecuted, he was abused. He was in prison at the very moment he wrote this. And yet he wasn't worried about tomorrow because he knew who held tomorrow. He knew where he was going. He knew in Christ everything was going to be okay to the point that he would even say to die is gain. Who can say that? Someone who's not worried about tomorrow. So I encourage you and I challenge you. Some of you may realize, hey, I got people in my life that are just weighing me down. And it doesn't mean cast them off. It means Maybe you don't need to vent and talk to people that aren't going to give you the right perspective on things. Or maybe you need to be like me and find men like Tim and Dave who are my counselors and my coaches and the people that will help you and have the best interest for you. And sometimes those are people outside of work. 
Because no matter how complicated your work is, sometimes there's always motives beyond the actual conversation. So find people outside of circles. Find new circles. Find pastors. Find a small group. Find people that can help you in this area. But it starts with you confessing you need help. And that's going to be important. Our thoughts have tremendous power. So let me wrap up this concluding point here about our thoughts and our minds and our focus. Our internal reality it defines the nature of our external reality. I know it sounds like sci-fi here, right? But I'm not going to sci-fi right now. I'm talking about whatever's in your heart is actually proje projected on this world. Because as a man think, thinketh in his heart, it's the Solomon and all of his wisdom, he says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts, they come from your heart. There's a nine and a half inch gap between your mind and your heart, but there's an ever-going connection between your soul and what you live out in this world. Today, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he recognized this, and he even said the key to life, you want to live a life that's full of, of abundance and full of wisdom, then we've got to do this. We have to watch over our heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Like I told you last month, I was in Yosemite. Oh, the waterfalls are beautiful this time of year. The snow is melting and the waterfalls have great power coming off the mountains and you just look at the majesty and the power and just the flow. And I think that's sometimes what God wants for us and yet we've, we've just like dammed it up and not allow it to flow. But God wants to flow with power from your heart in the springs of life and let this church, this church, God intends this church to flow like that waterfall coming off a mountain that it consumes and fills the valley. It's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do right here in Kyle. Texas through each and every one of you, but it starts with every person's heart being guarded with diligence. See, all the issues flow like rivers from one location, our hearts, and to persevere through life's challenges. We're going to have challenges ahead, church. It's not going to get easier from here. I think we know that. I think it's going to get harder. It's going to get more challenging. I think your, your church growth right now, there's going to be times when you, you as a church are going to hit some walls. And that's okay. God will prepare you for them, and you're going to get through them the same way you got through every, every other one. I've watched your church. You were a modular church in one of the hardest seasons of building a church known to man. In the midst of a pandemic, if God can birth something like this, what can he do with your future? Don't worry about it because if he took care of you these last three years, how much better is he going to take care of you now? If you've seen the growth of Trevor and the team and the Rad family, if you've seen the leadership growth, I've witnessed it. I've known Trevor since he was a kid and in high school, just coming out of high school, starting a band with Tim and Alec. I knew these guys, but to see them now, I am amazed at the work of God that's going through this house and through these families, and I want to be a part of it. That's why I'm drawn to your church. I watch you guys all the time. I cheer for Trevor. I text him. I try to encourage him because I just think this is the coolest story ever being told of what God is doing in your house. But persevering through all these things are going to require this focus, this internal focus that we must have. But then finally, as I conclude with this thought, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Let thanksgiving be the fuel that drives you into your future, not worry.
Be thankful for what God has done and what he's doing now. And don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious with the what ifs. Say, God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for what we're doing. Even when things come around and you're saying things, and I know people leave churches for all reasons, but listen, don't leave this place unless it's a clear call of God for you to move on to the next. Stay, endure, be a part of a family. Be a part of a place where you can wrestle with the issues of life together and do it out of a heart of thanksgiving. Because in order to be anxious for nothing, you must be thankful and you must have worship and what you have a culture of worship to renew your perspective. David wrote this, but you, O Lord, are my shield, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I tell you the truth today, radical family, don't be an individual that walks this life with your heads down. Because when you're walking with your heads down, you're illustrating being consumed. And I think, too, the iPhone has been a big problem with this. We're always walking around like this. We're not even enjoying life. We're stuck to screens. That's another whole other message. But the point is we're stuck to screens, aren't we? What would your life look like if you weren't looking down, you were looking up? If you truly allowed God to lift your head. Today, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit in just a few moments, every one of us can leave here with our heads lifted high by the mighty name of Jesus. Today, I want the band to come up as we conclude with our third and final point. You heard me say it earlier, but I'm gonna bring it home in the next few moments. Peace is knowing I'm a child of God. In all my years of teaching, I remember the first time I shared this with the children's ministry and the youth group, it stuck. Because we try to define peace in a world that doesn't have it. We try to experience peace when the world is filled with chaos. We try to define a word that we just simply don't understand. So why not just realize that peace is a matter of knowing who you are today? Peace is a matter of a relationship you have that you might live out of that relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which includes peace, may become alive in you in a way that if you lack it today because you struggle with worry and anxiety, today I pray that you would take a step today and say, God, I'm your child. I need your peace. So the next few moments, I simply want to remind you of the brilliance and the beauty of Jesus. I've given you a little bit to think about, about where fear and anxiety come from, about ways we can deal with it through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. But right now, if you want that peace, turn your hearts to Jesus. Close your eyes for me for a moment. I want you to kind of imagine Jesus as human as possible. I think so often, and maybe you're like me, I, and I, I've studied this before, like so often when we pray, we think our prayer goes to another world. Like it's all up in heaven. He's sitting on the throne. He's so far away. We make him so impersonal that, he, that our prayers have to go through all this warfare and all this thing to get to him. But the reality is, Jesus said it would be better that I go that the Holy Spirit may come. So when the Holy Spirit has come, we just celebrated Pentecost a few weeks ago. When the Holy Spirit has come, we've got Jesus now with us. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. So I pray, Jesus, be revealed in this place. So imagine 
that Jesus is before you and he has love in his eyes and he's speaking these words to you today. He says these words to you as a child in the most loving fatherly way that he ever could say it. He says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give as the world gives. See, we know what the world gives. I know what the world gives. And it made my life miserable. I know what the world gives, even as a pastor. I'm going to be real. It gives power. It gives recognition. It gives opportunity to be on the spotlight. But listen, that's what the world gives. And it is, it is a dead end. Jesus, thank you for giving your peace. He concluded this, he concludes with this way, these words. He says this to your heart today. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He would have said those words to his disciples and days later, hours later, he would have hung on a cross. Make no mistake, church, because he is God, as he hung on that church, you were on his mind. He died on that cross and he says, I do this for you. He said your name as he shed his perfect blood because that blood is for you. He died so we could live. He died so you could be restored. You could be brought back into relationship with the Father just as if the Garden of Eden never happened. You can be made whole. You can be a child of God. Romans 5 says, we have been made right with God because of our faith. That's all it takes, church. If you today have never accepted Jesus, all it takes is faith, saying, God, I believe what you say is true. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I put my faith, I don't even know, some of you may not even know what faith is yet, but you can say, God, I put my hope, I put my trust, I, I just know something's not right and I'm missing out. I need you, God. If you call and plead out to him, listen, it's not just a simple, sim it is a simple prayer, but there's no formula. It may be different for you. Listen, just call out to God and he will meet you because now we have peace with him because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you know the word shalom actually means complete and whole? You see this word, I studied it again. I just wanna share with you and drop this in your spirit. The word shalom, it actually implies that life is complex. How beautiful is that? The word shalom knows that life is complex. complex. It's full of moving parts, full of relationships, situations, and things that, that when they're out of alignment or missing, what happens to your shaloms is it breaks down. Consider it a wall. You see, Israel didn't have peace when the walls were broken. We taught you guys that in Nehemiah, that the walls had to be restored. They had to bring shalom back to Jerusalem. And, and God needs to repair the walls in your life today. Some of them are broken, and some of them have been broken since childhood. And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have your walls broken, because that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And that's when he'll send your church. This church will be your community. There are people in this room, I, I talked to some of them after first service, they're ready to pray for you. They're ready to stand in the gap for you. When you don't have enough to pray, 
And listen, I, I challenge the prayer team, when, when, when someone's going through these seasons and they don't have enough to pray, don't just say, hey, you need to pray more. Go pray for them, pray with them, walk with them, get them the help they need, walk alongside, intercede, walk with them. May radical church live radically different by the faith that is shared amongst one another. The shalom that is restored. How do we experience shalom? Listen, we come into this house and we worship him. We come in this house and we let him rebuild our lives from the week that just happened, from the day that just happened. He can rebuild it every morning if he has to, but he will. Some of us go one day and we've already got broken walls again. Well, listen, he'll rebuild it again. That's a word for me. I, 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 can, I can so quickly, like I'm being honest, I can so quickly go in from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. There was in times in my life when I was doing large events, speaking and sharing the gospel to literally, and I'm not trying to be thousands of people at a moment, but then I'd be in my bed the next week and utterly depressed. I don't know why. Maybe it's the Elijah factor, Elisha. But listen, God met me in those moments and he always lifted me up. And he'll lift you up. He'll lift you up. Life is full of mountains and life is full of valleys. But one thing is for sure, his shalom endures forever. His faithfulness endures forever. Today, I declare this over this house. I asked Trevor as I was preparing this message, and I asked him, what can I share? And, I, and we talked about this this week, so I know this is the word I wanna drop in this house. Live in peace. Say it with me, live in peace. Come on, say it from your heart. Live in peace peace. There's no other way to live. Even in your darkest hours, your most anxious moments, the times in your life when you feel like tomorrow is so far away and that you're living in the hard moment, you live in peace. Thank you for your word, God. Peace can be compared to the petals of a flower that are unfolding in the morning light. I just planted some flowers the other day, y'all, and when I was at Lowe's, the lady actually said, these are beautiful because every morning the petals open up when the sun comes out. And I, I planted those just last week and I thought about this message and I was like, the petals of peace in our lives unfold. Why? When we simply bask in the brilliance and the beauty of Jesus. As we do that, we discover his character and how he's always faithful. We experience his goodness. We enjoy his promises. We're overwhelmed like a flood, overwhelmed by his love. All the while, never allowing the ever-changing circumstances of our life determine the level of contentment, but instead relying on a God who never changes. That is peace. If Adam brought the first fear, then turn to Jesus who brought peace. This last scripture I wanna share with you. you. See, our hearts, I told you back, take it back to your heart. Our hearts basically have a throne, they have a seat. 
Look what Colossians 3 says. Let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. Imagine what it would be like if Jesus truly took his place. What would your life be like if you simply obeyed this scripture and said, God, come, take your place in my heart?